from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Uh, we've had a few week hiatus here, um, and quite frankly, in full disclosure, that had a lot to do with the fires that were raging in California. They're still not out, but they're out enough that we were able to crawl our way back to the microphones. Uh, so we are we are back. We're ready, and uh, we have a powerful show uh, again for you this week. Um, This week, we are going to be talking about the blatant racism of Donald Trump. We're not going to mince words about that. And um, luckily, we are talking to one of the movers and shakers um, in the effort to fight that racism. Uh, This is a little little bit intersectional from, you know, core LGBT uh, issues. However, it is very core to um, LGBT person of color issues whose communities are, are ill-served by this administration um, on, both, on both sides of it. Um, but a lot has happened, and um, we have to step up. I mean, we have to step up for this election. We have to stand up for the rights of uh, black Americans. We have to stand up for the rights of um, people living in the streets and, and this uh, fraud that is being perpetuated on us um, and the rhetoric that is coming out of the White House um, is absolutely appalling. So that is what the show is about today. We have our special guest, um, Diallo Brooks, who is the Senior Director of Field Mobilization for the People for the American Way, sitting on deck waiting to come on and talk to us. And uh, before we, we bring him on, I do want to welcome my co-host, Brody Levesque. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Good afternoon, good morning, or good day to our listeners across the globe. We very much appreciate uh, you guys uh, more than you can probably imagine. Uh, today has been a day of continuing outrage uh, over an article that was published in the Atlantic magazine yesterday, um, President Donald Trump made numerous disparaging comments uh, about uh, active duty veterans, other members of the U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, today, Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, um, went after him for it in a uh, press briefing he gave in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, the White House, of course, is denying that it happened. However, we have enough sources and there are enough confirmation now coming from about eight or nine different places that Trump did, in fact, make these comments. Uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, at the end of the day, it's pretty shocking. Uh, in talking to those of us in the press corps, the vice president, former vice president, told us this. If what is written in the Atlantic is true, it's disgusting and affirms what most of us believe to be true. That President Trump is not fit to do the job of president, to be commander-in-chief. If these statements are true, the president should humbly apologize 
to every Gold Star mother and father and every Blue Star family. Who the heck does he think he is? Uh, and indeed, that's uh, kind of a question uh, that is uh, being rattled around uh, currently. Uh, Vice President uh, Biden and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, uh, traveled to Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, to meet with the family uh, of the young man uh, who had been um, shot in the back uh, by Kenosha police in what most view uh, as just another act of police violence against uh, an African-American. Um, and, you know, it just has gotten to the point where, uh, you know, we're no longer in kind of an echo chamber with this. It's just, just it's become critical stage. Yeah. Um, Brody, you know, Trump, Brody, before you, yeah. Before- yeah. Before you before you go on to Kenosha and and that situation, I want to make a comment about the Atlantic article. Um, you know, you you mentioned this to me um, yesterday because I hadn't seen the article at that point, and quite frankly, when you mentioned it, was not sure it wasn't old news because, to your point, so much of this has been um, made in evidence in his previous comments, his comments about John McCain, et cetera. Um, I've read the article since then, and from the standpoint of my life, and my dad served um, in the military for 30 years. He served in Vietnam. Um, he, he passed away two years ago, but he was proud um, uh, as a graduate of the, um, um, the U.S. Uh, Naval Academy um, and a career Marine, and my family was a military family that, that traveled um, throughout his whole career, and all the people that I grew up with were military whose lives not not none of or the vast majority of them did not sacrifice their lives in terms of dying for their country, but they they definitely devoted their lives to the defense of the country and for these remarks are not only appalling, they are disgusting, they are horrific they are unspeakable for the leader of the country and the leader of the military to have uttered anything like them is absolutely horrific. And um, I am, have nothing but contempt and disgust over the thought of, of his rhetoric, um, his impulses, um, everything about it is just ab- abhorrent, completely and totally abhorrent um and other than that i have no opinion on the subject whatsoever brody back to you (laughs) um well you know and of course the other part of the problem is that uh and this is a critical thing which uh diallo will be speaking to us about this is why it's so important that we get minority voters fully engaged uh you know trump has basically declared war uh, against you know Black Lives Matter, and he's declared war, uh, quite frankly, against the minority communities of this country. Um, his racist rhetoric, his white supremacist supporters, um, everything that you can possibly imagine, okay, uh, that should never ever be even thought of by a president of the United States. This guy goes there, um, and it's just uh, you know, and it, the problem is it also tricks down in a way that really has a negative impact, in addition to voting. Right now, my colleagues at NBC News reported on this last night. 
Researchers are trying desperately to get volunteers to participate in the coronavirus vaccine trials, okay? And the problem is, all right, that out of the 360,000 volunteers participating, only 40,000 of them are, are either black or Latinx. And, and this is a problem. This is a huge problem. So, you know, we're looking at all of these factors, okay, and, and we're desperately trying to get engagement. And then you've got the president of the United States, who apparently has no problem fomenting civil unrest and, quite frankly, war on other Americans. Brody, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Rob. No, I'm, just, I'm like done with did. that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's um, – yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, it's – um, it is it – is, to quote him, it is what it is. It, he is what he is, and we need, we need to be rid of, of that. Um, can you give for those who are not fully vested in the details the um, the whole story of what has happened in Kenosha? The uh, Kenosha police uh, were responding to a domestic call. Uh, they they came across uh, a young black man, um, and there was apparently words exchanged with officers. Uh, the police are maintaining that. Uh, he had uh, warrants outstanding. They attempted uh, to make an arrest, the young man, uh, 29-year-old uh, Jacob Blake. Um, so it it became problematic because in the course of this, uh, they apparently tried to tase him, and then one of the officers turned around and grabbed him as he was reaching into his vehicle where his children were and ended up shooting him in the back about seven times, which by most standards – are, is completely uncalled for. So this this was part of the uh, of the problem. So yeah, it, it's and it's it sparked again more civil unrest across the United States. There have been um, multiple cases of further violence in cities that were already on ease, such as Portland, Oregon, uh, Los Angeles, Kenosha itself, which really got turned upside down. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really been a summer of unrest based in fact that there is a culture of institutional racism and there's a culture of oppressive policing uh, by law enforcement against the black community in this country. And, you know, when you try to get them to, um, you know, get a basic understanding of this, you know, they, they pull behind their police unions and, and they, they deny it, and they, they deflect, and it just, you know, it's gotten to the point where even journalists like me have just, you know, we're done with the cops. You know, I, I, I am. I'm, I'm over it. You know, if they just can no longer sit and say that they are policing, you know, fairly. They're not. It's unjust. They are an army of occupation in black communities and Latino communities, and it's, it's just wrong. It's I don't know. I just it gets me angry to the point where I literally run out of the English language. Right. Well, with that <laughs> and a great setup, um, I want to uh, welcome to the show um, our distinguished guest, uh, Diallo Brooks. Diallo is the senior director of the Field Mobilization for the People of the American Way, 
and um, as such, um, there 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 is hope on the horizon with um, solutions to everything we've talked about. Diallo, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, uh, what what are your thoughts around uh, Brody? Just expressed himself about the situation with Kenosha and uh, Donald Trump's rhetoric, um, not only of late but but uh, previous to that. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, my thoughts are initially that uh, he's using racial tension and division to to really ignite uh, violence, and it's and it's really just not leadership. Um, but you know, I think as you stated at the top of the show, uh, that this is this is something that Donald Trump is, is famous for. Um, he continues to do that. He continues to divide communities. Um, he continues to to do everything possible. Um, to marginalize folks instead of bringing folks together. And, you know, we, we've seen many presidents, and there have been presidents that we've had issues with, but I think at some point presidents have, even even some of those that we didn't even like, <laughs> have tried at points <laughs> to bring people together. Um, and I think Trump has just gone to this, this extreme level um, and, you know, has to take responsibility um, for his actions, and, and we're hoping that that responsibility uh, will come uh, when we have our elections in November. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you outline the – it seems like this is happening on multiple fronts from Trump and, and his administration as a whole, but the repression of, among others, I mean, obviously the Democratic vote, but – specifically the black vote seems to be integrated into quite a few of the policies that they've been laying out. Can you um, kind of outline for our, our listenership where all, how that is being done and what are all the, the really trouble spots that you, you feel are, are coming out of the government right now in terms of voting? Yeah. I mean, it, it really just came out of, uh, it's funny because usually you have to kind of dig to find these uh, the evidence that they're trying to undermine vote from certain communities. Uh, but, you know, you've heard it firsthand from Trump himself talking about, you know, the less folks that vote, the more likely Republicans can win, right? Um, not only from him, but uh, this administration and other Republicans. Um, and, you know, we saw years ago um, during his early time uh, in office with his uh, supposed election integrity commission um, looking to find these, you know, this voter fraud that doesn't exist. Um, And we saw how that failed uh, because there was no fraud there. Um, And then his continued um, push to undermine uh, mail-in ballots. You know, we're in a a situation, a COVID situation, where we're trying to create social distancing and trying to find the best methods for folks to participate. And yet he wants to, to, to devalue uh, uh, vote by mail, yet he votes by mail. <laughs> and so you see this <laughs> deliberate effort <laughs> to, to stack the deck um, in his favor. And he likes to double down on communities of color. I mean, that's just in black communities uh, specifically, you know, pushing the, the continued narrative around voter fraud, uh, continuing to push the narrative 
uh, around um, uh, voter ID and things and those, you know, making sure that folks have voter IDs and knowing how that disproportionately impacts uh, black communities and communities of color and marginalized communities as a whole. And so, you know, for me, and for our organization in general, I think, you know, you said it really well at the beginning uh, of your show uh, about the intersectionality um, between so many communities because, you know, if we, we look at the attacks on every community, LGBTQ community, immigrant, immigrant community, black community, Latinx community, it's all intersectional, um, and it's all about undermining um, the most marginalized amongst us. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, as we talk about mobilizing around the black community, um, there's LGBTQ folks that are part of the black community, so it's representative of all of us. Um, and so that's why all of us that are progressive-minded, that believe in justice and fairness, need to be in the fight um, to push back against Trump, to mobilize communities um, so we can, we can turn the page uh, on the tyranny that, that Trump is, is pushing. Yeah, no, it's um <laughs> it's it's huge. Um what what is the the People for America way uh, doing? I know you guys have an initiative called Defend the Black Vote. What is that initiative yeah. going to set out to to do? So that that uh thanks for bringing that up. Actually, that initiative is going to be uh it's a, a it's a C3 initiative or a civic engagement initiative. We're not pushing a particular partisan uh, slant, but really just making sure that uh, the black community is, one, informed and prepared uh, for this election coming up, making sure they have the information needed um, around vote-by-mail if that um, is available to them in their states, making sure that they are checking um, their voter registration to make sure that they know, one, where their polling places are and making sure that they are they're still on the registry rolls because we know the Republicans have been trying really hard to uh, purge folks from the rolls. Um, looking at making reminding folks the importance of this election um, around a lot of the issues um, that are playing out in communities. If you care about uh, police violence, you need to vote. Um, that's a fundamental principle of, of our democracy, um, but also civic engagement. Um, it's only one piece, but that's a piece that has to be exercised for everything else to come together. And so we're, we're really doing um, an education push, uh, a mobilization push, um, and a protection push as well to make sure that folks uh, know where to go to get help um, should there be problems at the ballot box. Um, also just making sure that folks, you know, if there's early voting or early ways to participate, that folks are doing that um, on the early end, not waiting to the last minute because, we right. know this administration, uh, we know that there's shenanigans out there um, that can happen, um, and so we just want to make sure that every vote is counted, that folks are able to participate without obstacles. One, one of the points that um, I think you guys brought up that I think is really important for people to understand is that, um, you know, introductions of new ways of voting, uh, whether it be by mail or other things, um, are not quickly necessarily adopted by the constituents in a community, that it usually takes several election cycles to um, acclimate people to, to voting in a way that they're not used to. Um, and plus, I, 
my faith in this, this upcoming election is that there are many, many people in these communities who actually have not really participated in voting before, but who will be stepping up um, because this has in, uh, intersected into their lives so strongly. Um, right. how, how is that being um, put through in the education process you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an, that's an excellent point. I mean, this is, you know, voting in this COVID environment um, with these new uh, ways of, of participating um, can be daunting for folks, those, even those folks that vote regularly. Um, but uh, what we're doing is uh, utilizing um, a text messaging programs to reach out to folks um, um, to just educate folks on what their options are. Um, so we're doing research on each of the states um, that we'll be targeting um, and making sure that they're educated on the processes um, so they know when their voter registration, uh, their, their vote by mail deadline is, they know that they have to put a stamp on the mail, they have to request the ballot, um, we'll let them know that. Um, if there's drop-off locations that they can actually take that mail ballot and actually physically drop it off, um, let them know that they can do that and, and, and how to find that out in their jurisdiction. Um, and, and at the same time, just giving folks encouragement that there's a, a lot of us out here um, really, you know, supporting the, the fact that this, 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 is a, this is really important to communities. And so, you know, not only just giving the information, but that they're, that they're, that they're not alone in this process. And I think that's encouraging for folks um, to hear that there, there's, so many folks that care so much that they participate, um, I think that helps kind of move the needle um, as far as people uh, participating. And like I said, just giving them as much information as possible um, to break down whatever barriers may be in the way. Um, like one of my colleagues always likes to say is like, are you ready? And I think this is the time now to really start asking folks, are you ready? Because um, you have a little bit of time to kind of like, get everything in order and, and get all that stuff done in order to make sure your vote counts on November 3rd. And that's what we're about. And, no, excellent. And yeah, and, and we want them to, to get that message that, that they are important and their, their vote counts. Um, some of this is being impacted because of um, the 2013 Supreme court decision that undermined the voting rights act. Um, can you describe for our listeners what that act was about and what that decision did to it? Yeah, so, I mean, it was a, the, the Shelby decision, which uh, struck down parts of the, the Voting Rights Act, which was a, was a piece actually provided some teeth to make sure that uh, communities weren't, um, uh, black communities in particular, were not marginalized during these elections, that they weren't, you know, systems put in place that disenfranchise uh, voters um, that suppress the vote. Um, and it was based on the fact that a lot of these jurisdictions and a lot of these states historically had marginalized and, and suppressed the vote. Um, so it was really a check to make sure um, um, that these states were operating above board, that if they were passing new voter laws, um, that those things had to be, you know, had to be pre-cleared. Pre um, before they went into effect. Um, with the removal of that, you've seen states push more voter ID laws and more voter suppression, uh, suppressive tactics. 
And so that's why it's really, really important um, now to just double down our efforts uh, to engage communities to make sure that they have the tools they need to push back um, and make sure that their voices are heard um, in this election. And that's all the way up and down the ballot. Right, right. No, absolutely. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, Kamala Harris, as the vice president nominee on the Democratic side, uh, and full disclosure, she's the one I wanted all along. That's, that was, she was the one for a lot of reasons, um, particularly her record here in California. Um, you know, she was, you know, I was definitely team, uh, Kamala, um, from, from the outset. What, because of her historic choice in, in being the person she is in that position, uh, what, what do you think the effect of that is going to be? Well, I'm hoping it has a, a very positive effect. And I think initially with the reaction that folks have had um, has been um, pretty positive. Uh, you know, having a woman, uh, having a woman of, of her, her diverse background, um, her diverse experiences, um, just shows the, the seriousness um, that the party is looking toward, to move toward um, in changing the narrative uh, uh, around what our elections look like. And I think it's an inclusive choice. Um, it shows that, that, you know, black women are valued, um, that um, immigrant communities are, are valued as well because of her immigrant uh, parents. Um, um, and also, you know, that her, her leadership is valued as well as a part of a strong voice to create change. So um, I know we're excited about having her. Um, I think she brings a lot of energy. She brings a lot of uh, knowledge, you know, her history in the Senate, um, her executive experiences. Um, I think, you know, I think she can make a, a positive impact on this election. And I think people should look to her, you know, as, as somebody that is open to, to listening to communities um, um, should she become uh, vice president. No, no, absolutely. Brody? Well, Diallo, one of the things uh, for our listeners, I mean, as a longtime member of the Washington Press Corps, uh, I, I'm very familiar with your organization, but some of our listeners uh, aren't. I'd like to tangentially footnote that with the uh, Golden State Awards are going to be given out in about another two weeks, and your founder is going to be the mm-hmm. honoree by Equality California and some of the other organizations, uh, legendary Hollywood producer Norman Lear, who founded yeah. uh, the very organization that you work with. Uh, so if you could give our folks a little bit about PEEPA, what its mission is. And for those of you who are listening, um, many of you know who I am, and you've seen the, the columns I've written and the coverage I've given to part of PEEPA, which is, of course, Right Wing Watch. The, the crew over there... Mm-hmm. Uh, just do an amazing job. They're incredible, and uh, I just uh, props and a shout out to the Right Wing Watch crew. Um, but a little bit about you know people and what its mission is, and and why why it's you know this is not just another inside the Beltway think tank. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. Um, it's it's exciting to have uh, Norman Lear as our founder, um, and also still very active uh, with the organization. Um, uh, been very connected to the organization. And Norman and uh, many others, including uh, Barbara Jordan, um, 
founded the People for the American Way really to push, be, a, be able to push back against the extreme right voices that were out there. Um, and, you know, over the years, it's continued to grow to be uh, a place not only uh, with our Right Wing Watch program, um, which monitors and reports on what's happening with the extreme right, but be an organization of inclusion, uh, a multiracial organization, um, that is able to, to really work with our over a, a million members um, to, to fight the right, but also fight for the constitution, constitutional values, making sure that we have an inclusive vision for uh, our, not only uh, our country and our government, um, but also as we go off into our, our court system as well. And so we fight on many fronts. Um, we try to bring people together. Uh, many diverse communities together to, to fight against uh, systems of repression across this country. And we've been in the fight for a long time, and we, we will continue to be in the fight uh, for a long time. And we are also excited, too, um, in, in this time as well, because we have a new president uh, of our organization, uh, Ben Jealous, and many folks may know him from his uh, days running the NAACP but also as uh, uh, the Democratic nominee for governor of, uh, of Maryland and, and had an historic race there in, in Maryland. And so we're excited about his leadership, um, his vision going forward to take uh, and build off of what Norman uh, was, so, uh, was so able to really see um, as the need to have an organization that fights for all of us. I think it's amazing that, you know, and it's interesting because as we're having this conversation today about disenfranchisement of black voters and the need to get the vote out, uh, about probably a decade ago, um, I was reporting uh, on the activists that had gathered uh, just a block up from your headquarters there at McPherson Square. And, of course, uh -huh. that was the the Occupy movement. And yep. there were a couple of times where I had – actually been at Peepaw and then came out, turned left and walked over to McPherson to talk to, to all these young <laughs> activists. And, and here I am 10 years later and, and, and the engagement is still there. But I think one of the things that I noticed, Diallo, which I think is probably critically important, especially over this long, terrible summer, is that we have seen a tremendous amount of engagement by young people of Every, I mean, the entire color palette was just filled, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, with this whole Black Lives Matters movement and the and really kind of a standing up to the more extremist viewpoints of the American far right and right, even um, as evidenced by their lack of expression of empathy every time this has taken place. I mean, it's not just Trump and his racist rhetoric that is disturbing. I think what's more disturbing to me is the fact that you have senior members of the Congress, and I'm going to call out the Senate Majority Leader. I'm going to call out mm -hmm. the Majority Whip. I'm going to call out Representative Scalise. I'm going to call out Representative McCarthy, because you people have allowed this racism to be further institutionalized and fomented by your complete and utter lack of shutting down a president who quite frankly has proven himself to be unfit for office. All mm -hmm. right. Lance over with basically what I'm going to ask you Diallo is 
Uh, yeah, I know, really. That the other part of this is looking at that engagement and with this new uh, initiative that you guys are running, what type of outreach has people put out into these younger communities? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that your point is, is, is great. And if you look at movements throughout history, young people have been um, front and center leading those movements uh, throughout history. And so we just see another generation uh, of young folks stepping up and fighting for what they believe in with a, with a fearless uh, effort to stand up, putting their bodies at harm at, at, at points um, in order to, to fight for a more just country. Um, so it's, it's incredibly exciting. Um, when I mentioned the uh, Defend the Black Vote campaign, I mean, we'll be targeting uh, uh, voters specifically 18 to 35 as well um, to engage them in this process. Um, we'll be working closely with our young elected officials network, where elected officials that are 35 and under uh, around this project. And we have uh, a Young People Four program um, that has been working for a long time and doing a lot of civic activism and civic engagement um, with young uh, college-age students um, for a very long time that will be engaged as well. So, I mean, I think organizationally, um, we've invested for years in, in, in young people, and uh, um, we'll look forward to having them as a part of this fight. And I don't think you win this fight without young people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yellow, I want to ask you about you personally. What what got you to the People for American Way, and what drives you personally um, in this fight? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a native Washingtonian, born and raised in Washington D.C. Um, always had the bug for for politics and and, and more so more than politics, really uh, organizing and social justice. Um, and so, uh, worked at other organizations that supported elected officials uh, around um, a lot of these issues, um, and been and have done trainings uh, with various communities around social justice um, issues and so and I've and even at working at partner organizations in the past known people for the American way for years even before I started working at PFA um, 10 years ago um, and so I mean this this is just something that's really connected to me I mean I have a my history is uh, my great-great-grandmother was uh, the first woman uh, to found a bank and she has her statue uh, Maggie Walker, Maggie Lena Walker, her statue is on Broad Street in Richmond, Virginia. Um, uh, and so it's a nice contrast to some of the Confederate stuff that's down there. Um, and so, and she was a civil rights activist of her own, her, you know, uh, in her own right and was very connected to the civil rights movement during that time. Um, and so, like, the bug has just been in me. And so PFA yeah. is, is an excellent place because it's, a, it's, you know, an organization that works on multiple issues. Um, and it's fighting for justice for all of us. Yeah, you, you, have, you have quite the legacy with her uh, kind of looking over your shoulder there um, from the beyond, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you, Brody went on, uh, gave some viewpoint early in the show about the status of police organizations and um, his, his uh, dismay at where they're at. Um, I see a lot of that in, in my view. Um, I see some sort of deeper reaches, in my opinion, of what what is going on there and across the country in terms of a system that is 
set up and is predicated on kind of some some racist um, shortcomings, short-sightedness, um, uh, maybe even naivete, um, in that mm-hmm. a lot of the, the psyche of police are based on almost an emotional um, precept that, that they're out in the field, they're to be high, on high guard, anything that alerts them, they're trained to react, you know, first ask questions later. Um, but then the core of some racism that they actually take into that is not being addressed. Um, you know, and yeah. I think to, for, to my mind, that goes back to all the way to the 70s and beyond in the 60s of television and media depictions of African Americans and, you know, um, you know, this, this threat of uh, the persona that, that is not being extricated out of people's psyches, you know, very effectively. Um, what, what are your comments about systematic racism and um, how, what, what can we do to start getting to the core of this problem? Yeah. I, I mean, this is something that's, you know, it's front and center in my mind, and I'm actually currently uh, working on a project within People for the American Way around uh, uh, policing and reimagining public safety. Um, there's, there's two things. There's one, there, there are, it, there's the systemic stuff that has bubbled up to the point where I think the larger public can finally see that many of us in the black community have known for a long time. Um, there's the, the behaviors and actions of, of officers and the culture within policing that has fostered that. But there's also the, the system, um, the systemic racist systems that are in place that continue to drive um, and reinforce those bad behaviors um, that we see that cause violence um, in communities um, disproportionately. And so, there's one not only just fixing the minds, the hearts and minds of the individual officers, but it's also looking at the structures that perpetuate those 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 negative behaviors um, that reward um, police officers for having contact with minority communities, um, contact that leads toward violence because it's it's excessive contact, right, um, and uh, and over policing in certain communities. Um, but also the demonization of certain communities as well. I mean, I think that, like you said, there's this, this narrative that's been out here um, in this country about uh, black people are looked at um, oftentimes as less than human. And so it allows folks to interact with them in that negative way. And those that have power, like police, um, you could see that taken to the extreme level. Um, but, yeah, I think you can't address uh, these issues if you don't adjust the people um, and, the per- and the training and the perception of those individuals that, uh, that are serving as police officers, but also the role and responsibilities of police officers, how they perform and function on their job, how they're held accountable um, for their behaviors, um, what their job should be, should police be responding to certain issues that are out there like mental health issues or um, homelessness Mm -hmm. or, you know, even domestic violence (laughs) issues. Like are there other folks 
um, that are better uh, suited to perform those jobs that won't carry the same punitive uh, reactionary. And also just the militarization of police departments. I mean, you got folks coming in to be a police officers that want to crack it. <laughs> and so if that's the right, mentality right. coming in and you target a certain community, black community, demonize that community, then they're going to exercise that aggression um, on those communities. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that our organization has pivoted to, um, particularly under Ben uh, Jealous's leadership, um, to really address that. And like I said, we have a young elected officials program um, that we're working very closely with to really find what are the, the policies that need to be implemented across the country um, in a lot of these municipalities to really change the way policing is done. No, yeah, it's it, and you're thank God for your organization. I mean, you guys are so vital, and thank you personally for the work you're doing. Um, one of the things from from my standpoint that I observe, you know, and obviously these situations where and and they're being captured now because of our cell phone society, where we're able to see things that we weren't seeing before. They're not new things that are just all of a sudden started happening. But um, the violent and tragic um, ones that are at the hands of the police, of, of people being shot down and, and hurt and maimed and, and killed, um, are absolutely wrong and terrifying. I also, though, see the symptom in the ones that are not at that level, but to me it's characteristic mm-hmm. of what the core problem is, of, of um, you know, people of color who are sleeping in a dorm um, area or, you know, in a neighborhood that they get questioned why they're there. And, um, you know, you know, it's like these come up frequently as well. And to me, those are the, they aren't, they don't end tragically, but to me, they are the core of the issue of the American psyche of, 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 how um, compartmentalized groups in America have been and um, mm-hmm. the, the unjustness of it. Um, what would your message be to, you know, the white quote unquote community or people who would have those reactions to people? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find one word to, or, or one sentence to kind of, uh, kind of describe that, Part of it is, uh, you know, you know, if you believe in humanity, then you have to do better. Um, you have to take the time to really see people um, as people, um, and you need to be in touch with um, your own implicit biases, your own uh, racial prejudices, and be willing to to make changes there for society to change. Um, and I think that. You know, we can be in partnership um, so long as you are willing to address the issues that um, you bring to the table. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to stand in solidarity, um, but at the same time not do the work. Part of this is a challenge to, to particularly white America now, um, are you willing to do the work to create the change? Um, and, you know, every community – you know, every marginalized community needs support from those that are not a part of that community to really create change. Um, and so folks have to see folks, uh, um, the humanity in folks, and do the hard work necessary 
to break down the things psychologically that they like have have had ingrained in them for so many years and be willing to 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 work at that not looking for perfection um not looking for that perfect litmus test on any of this stuff but really the willingness to do the hard work to create change and that's just you know part of you know creating a culture where we can all work together for the common goals of of lifting up our communities um being in um community with each other and you know realizing the humanity in each and every one of us. I'd like to follow up with that. I mean, I want to follow up with that. And, and Diallo, obviously you would appreciate this. Um, For our listeners, Washington, D.C., outside of what I call the government center, which is all your museums and the Capitol and the White House and all that, is a living, vibrant community. Um, and it was such a pleasure to live there. I lived up in Adams Morgan uh, for a very mm-hmm. long time. But uh, one of my favorite things to do uh, was uh, there was a place over on H Street, uh, almost at Benning Road, and I would grab the X2 bus, and I would uh-huh. take the X2 down there. <laughs> You're laughing because you know. You know that's and, a wild uh, bus, yes. <laughs> a very wild bus. But, but the but the thing that was so interesting about it was, you know, here I am, the old, you know, fat, white, bearded guy, okay, with the press credentials, <laughs> okay, and and this ocean of African-American faces. Um, but, you know, I would sit and talk to these people, and, and it suddenly it was, the, it was the fabric of, you know, the life. I mean, they're from Ward 5 or Ward 7 or Ward 8. Uh, and, you know, you said it, and this is what – triggered me was the getting to know the people aspect of it and and really at the end of the day i've always felt that was it when i was visiting uh i have a son who lives in georgia and i would i was staying with him and there was uh, a food line and it was completely staffed um by you know black americans the entire crew right and Mm -hmm. it was in a black neighborhood but it just so happened it was the closest food line and, you know, I, I love to cook and, you know, Rob can attest to that. And so I would do the grocery, I would do the marketing and the grocery shopping over there. And, you know, I, I would just start and I was, you know, being a reporter, I guess so I did that and I'm just nosy, but I mean, I would start these conversations with people, you know, in line and then with the cashiers and I became a regular known, you know, face and suddenly all of the air of suspicion and guardedness that you normally mm-hmm. see in the black community when dealing with someone who looks like me, okay, mm-hmm. dissipated because, uh, you know, it wasn't, I didn't see skin color or ethnicity or any of that. I just saw someone who had an interesting backstory, okay, and they found out that, oh, yeah, this old white dude's genuine. And that's the type of thinking that I have seen reflected more and more this summer with the younger generation that just makes me, you know, Feel the hope, and and it's like the folks on the X2 bus in, in the days that I lived in Washington, you know, the hope that they had and the expressiveness of their dreams and what they wanted and their stories, you know, which I to this day continue to tell as a journalist and as, as just even in a setting like this, you know, this is what's so critically important. It's the disenfranchisement isn't just political, it's social. And I think that one of right. the problems is because people don't see each other. They see past right. each other. They see over each other. They see around each other. 
and that has got to stop. Right. And that's why this president is so problematic because he, he pushes that narrative um, in a way that is so divisive instead of doing the things that he should do as a president is find the commonality in all of us in, in ways that bring us together. Um, and I, you know, it makes it much harder for, for folks to come together when you have a, a president as divisive as this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm by the and young I, people as well. <laughs> yeah, pretty much on all fronts. It's like his, his, his MO seems to be to divide, to divide, to divide. And, um, you know, it's, I think ultimately if, if those he's pushed out come together, that will be his downfall because he, the group that he is dividing away from is going to be a very small select group and they won't carry him. Um, right. So anyway, it's, uh, you know, your, your work is so vitally, vitally, vitally important, especially in the next two months. How can people get involved and what can they do um, What they want to join um, the, the people for the American way and your efforts? Yeah, so um, they should they should definitely go online um, to our website at www.pfaw.org. Um, you can also find us on all the social media uh, uh, accounts on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, um, People for the American Way. Um, look us up there. Um, shortly, we will have uh, opportunities for folks to volunteer to support the various campaigns that. Um, we're engaged in, um, but yeah, definitely check out our website. There's always um, news, information, ways to get involved, um, and we're happy to have more people um, connect with us and participate with us. As, you know, we try to bring the voice of the people um, into these fights. Um, no, excellent. And uh, on the voting voting day and voting initiatives themselves. Um, people in these communities, what would your advice to them be? Uh, it's a turnout to be ready um, to, to, to make sure that they have all of the information that they need to be able to participate, um, but also to reach out to their neighbors, to their friends, to their family members, and make sure that they support them um, doing the work of participating in this election and every election. Um, I think it's critically important to do voting and to participate as a community. Well, I would think um, one of the yep. things, too. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Brody. <laughs> okay. Diallo, um, you know, as a political reporter and as an editor, of course, when we're looking at trending, and we're, you know, and obviously sometimes it's the polling data, but we've noticed it's been particularly problematic in places like Georgia, Texas. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Mississippi, Louisiana even. We've seen it in Minnesota of all places. We have seen it in Michigan. We have seen it uh, as reflected in Wisconsin, which is, you know, is a battleground state. We're seeing it in Pennsylvania. There are parts of Pennsylvania outside of the metropolitan areas uh, that you honestly and truly would assume that you were suddenly transplanted to Alabama in a different era, um, Mm -hmm. literally, which is kind of scary. The most important thing, and, and the thing that I would ask you is, what is PPOD doing to galvanize, especially with COVID-19 and the considerations 
to go with that to galvanize, you know, the voting public into the mail-in and why it's critical. I mean, there, in some states like Florida, for example, you know, it's there is a mail-in, but we need to be proactive about this. And, of course, in places that have literally legislated, you know, uh, Alabama being a good example of that, that makes it almost impossible because of the voter ID laws and the other nonsense. Uh, you know, what do we do about the disenfranchisement? You know, we're three months out from November 3rd now, but what is people are doing and what can we do proactively to help with that? Yeah, so, I mean, people are even beyond the programs that I mentioned, our digital team has been working really hard um, to get the message out to all communities all across the country, no matter where you live. Um, a lot of the states that you mentioned, um, we are um, doing work in various programs that we have, um, even on our political side. We have political programs that are, that are geared to those, those, um, those areas. Um, but, yeah, like I said, our, our, our digital team, particularly in this COVID environment, is, is very critical um, to us getting out the word, to letting folks know what there's problems that are emerging. So as we hear about what's happening in various places, we are doing everything possible to make sure that we're educating folks, making folks aware, but also giving, you know, arming folks with the tools necessary to push back themselves, but also to educate their own uh, uh, friends, families, neighbors um, about to, how, to, how to stand up to this. I mean, like I said, you know, that's one of the exciting things about being at People for the American Way is that we work on so many different fronts. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> It keeps us busy all the time, but uh, I think it's also important that we're able to be in, in, in so many different fights at different times and, and really, you know, let folks know what's happening out there and how to engage. And we also partner with other organizations um, that may be on the ground in particular places, and so we connect our members um, to a lot of those efforts as well. So, you know, that's the robust way we, we, we combat a lot of that. Oh, that's excellent. Yalo, we're winding down the show here. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here. What have we not asked you that we should have? Uh, I don't know. I think it was a, it was a pretty, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a, it's been a great, uh, great interview. Um, yeah. I mean, I like, I think you've asked how to get involved. I mean, we, we always look for more members of the organization um, so we can help activate folks all around the country. Um, uh, we're going to be in this fight uh, not only through November but beyond. Um, and the only other thing I will say, too, is that every election is important. So, like, a lot of concentrations on the federal election, but there's some amazing folks uh, running down ballots. So there's a lot of reasons folks should be turning out um, to participate um, because there's you know, local city council seats, there's state legislator seats, there's, uh, you know, uh, Senate races, House races, and the presidency that's, you know, on the ballot in a lot of places. So people need to pay attention to, to all of that um, and make their voices heard. And should Joe Biden do what we hope he will do and become elected um, in November, and you got to give him your personal wish list, what would be on that list? Yeah, so one of the things, and I'm, I'm channeling one of my colleagues, uh, our Executive Vice President Marge Baker, uh, around making sure that they protect the courts, um, because a lot of our rights 
a lot of our rights and a lot of our communities have been under attack under this administration by Trump. And so we want to make sure that the, the courts are front and center, that we, um, we appoint uh, progressive judges um, that are about, you know, fair-minded uh, judges that are able to protect the rights of the people, not just big corporations. Excellent. Brody, final words from you? I, I think the, the, the only thing that I can reiterate, um, Diallo's words, is for folks to get engaged, please be engaged. Uh, go to PFAS, uh website. Uh, do what you can do to help this you know, amazing organization out. Uh, help out with these programs. Volunteer. You know, get people registered to vote. Vote, 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 vote when it comes time. It's just that critically important now more than ever before. Diallo, thank you so very much uh, for coming on the show. Please extend my personal oh, greeting you. to the crew over at uh, Right Wing Watch and Tom Brody says hey, and uh, good I job. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love those folks. Yeah. They're excellent. <laughs> they are. Well, and, and Diallo, I want to thank you again uh, for not just for coming on the show today, but for all your work. Uh, it is it is so important. You are you are saving the future of this country, and I believe in everything you're doing so wholeheartedly. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for that. Brody, thank you for oh, thank your you work all. here today and your journalistic work saving us from misinformation in the world. Um, that is deeply appreciated. I want to thank our listeners. Um, please tell your friends, have them subscribe to the podcast on their podcast app. All they have to do is uh, do a search for rated LGBT radio. There we are. Subscribe. Um, we value you very, very much. And to echo everything that has been said today, definitely vote, help get out the vote. I want you to go deeper to think and feel. Um, a previous guest made the point um, that you are either racist or anti-racist. That's the only mm-hmm. two choices. Um, there is not a benign middle ground at this point in our lives. And so um, pick up the mantle of anti-racism, do what you can, change minds, change thoughts, change feelings, fight, fight, fight. We have to make this a better world. We cannot keep it the way it is right now. For Brody and myself, we will be back here again next week with another fascinating, engaging show. We promise, we promise, we promise. Um, We look forward to talking to you then. And uh, until then, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 